0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co host, Nick Sigelski. And we're here with the one and only Mr. Josh Braun for a round three the master of Mr. Miyagi'ing objections, the king of crispy.
1: Nick, why should people listen? Armand, if you're the type of salesperson that just feels a little icky inside when you say, sir, you gotta book a demo with me, and you feel this zone of resistance with your customers, Josh has a really interesting way to get people to actually lean in by you leaning back. Three, two, one. Sir or madame,
0: please listen to this episode. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.
1: All right, Josh, welcome back to 30 Minutes to President's Club. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways, so let's get your three.
2: Takeaway number one is resist the urge to change people's minds. So let's talk about that. This happened to me last week. Someone said to me over Zoom that cold calling is dead. Now, deep down in my mind and in my soul... I don't believe that to be true. And if I was 20, I would have given them a mini Ted talk on all the reasons why cold calling is still very much alive if done properly. But now that I'm 52, I know that if I try to talk people into my point of view, it's a net negative every time. So the idea here and tip number one is contrary to what you've been taught, instead of fighting the resistance, what you actually want to do that sounds counterintuitive is to actually join the resistance. So here's how that might sound. Someone says to you, cold calling is dead. And you might say this, there are so many more ways to reach out to prospects. People hate being interrupted, especially on a cold call. It's such a time suck calling people and maybe you have one or two conversations and people don't even like it because you're interrupting them. So what we're, what we're doing here is we're, we're joining people. It doesn't mean we have to agree with people, but we're joining them where they are. And then what you typically hear when you do that is people leaning forward. You you get me. Uh, That's right. And then you might pile it on even more. You might say something like this. It's so rare to talk to people that can generate so many leads without doing cold calls. You might also say something like this. Sounds like lead gen is going exceptionally well. Sounds like you're hitting home runs every single quarter. Sounds like everything's going perfectly. And what you typically hear when you say that is, well it's not perfect, and then I might say, not perfect. And now you've cr- sort of created an opening. So the idea here is to resist the urge to overcome, lean in, join the resistance, and see if you can create an opening. But we can't get to the opening until we can create some idea that someone understands us. So this is the opposite of what salespeople have been taught, which is, I got to close, I got to overcome.
1: Let's move on to tip number two.
2: So tip number two is going to be a little maybe against the grain here, and I apologize for all sales managers that might write me terrible mails on this, but the realization that I came to is it's all rooted in people attaching to things that they don't control. They're focused on quota. They're focused on getting meetings. They're focused on closing deals. So when they don't get those things, they feel less than. There's this sort of lacking mentality and mindset. It's a recipe for being anxious and pissed off all the time. So the idea here is to let go of that and instead focus on the fun of doing the job. The outcome is just a byproduct of having fun doing the job. So my second tip here is to swap outcomes for fun. Enjoy the process and make it fun. I mean, you do a great job with this, Armand, and you too as well, Nick. You know, one of your greatest openings, Armand, that you uh, taught me on a cold call, which I absolutely love, which is, hey, we're having a competition here at Pave to see which column has the most amount of columns. Right now, the record is QZ. Can you beat it? That's the definition of fun on a call. That that sort of mindset is going to make you far less anxious. Um, when you focus on things that only you control, you're just happier all the time and less anxious.
1: Beautiful. Round us out, Josh. What's number three?
2: All right. Number three is a biggie because it's uh, again what salespeople have been taught because they read books on persuasion. They think it's their job to pitch, their job to talk people into things. However, we've established earlier in the podcast that when people feel like they're being talked into things, they enter the zone of resistance. So a better way is to ditch the pitch and actually shine a light on a problem that your prospect might not know about. And I'll give you an example of something that happened literally last week. I was home. It was 4.30. I get a knock on my door. I open it up. It's this guy, probably about 19 or 20 years old, and this is exactly what he said. There's no pitch. He said, hi, Josh, my name is Matt. I know you weren't expecting a knock on your door close to dinner time, but there's something on your property that I think you should know about. Do you have a quick moment? That's going to pique my interest. Yeah. What is it about my property? He points out to my garbage cans that are in front of my house because it was garbage day, and he asks such a smart question. This question made me scratch my head, and it wasn't pitchy. He said, when was the last time you cleaned your garbage cans? And I was like, I don't think I've ever cleaned my garbage cans. Why are you asking? He goes, well, as you can see, there's some flies hovering over your garbage cans, and there's a little bit of a smell. The flies could be a sign of bacteria, E. coli, salmonella, and that could get on you and could cause you to get sick happens. And if you'd like, um, I can restore your garbage cans to their pristine condition. Uh, no rush at all, but that's what I do. I gave the guy like 50 bucks and he cleaned my garbage cans immediately. And this is the sales superpower. When you reach out to people, everybody just has garbage cans that are getting the job done. Your job isn't to talk people into things. Your job is to shine a light on a problem that people might not know they had that can hurt them. And to do it in a subtle way that gets people to scratch their head and think, hmm, I'm not sure. What do you know that your prospect doesn't know that can hurt them? What is the cost of inaction? If your prospect does nothing, what happens? So that would be my third tip, which is shine a light on a problem and let people come to their own conclusions is a really good way to start conversations with people that are not actively in market. And that's like 90% of people you reach out to. If they were in market, they'd be calling you and your competitors.
0: So, Josh, well, one, that could have been an episode on its own. But Look at that. Killer open tips. So let's, let's go to the number two, which is the topic of having fun. And obviously, we're not having fun with, with the lollipops or like Nick likes to have fun by, you know, drinking Red Bulls and all that stuff. We're having fun getting rejected on the phones because it's almost comical. Could you give us a sense of maybe we take one or two objections? Maybe you know, let's call it not interested and call me in six months what would be the traditional salesperson way to answer them that would instantly result in a hang-up or putting the prospect on defensive? And then what should we be doing instead to have a little bit more fun?
2: Yeah, so someone says, I'm not interested. We could talk a little bit about this. The cause of I'm not interested is the salesperson's message. Typically what happens when you hear that is the, the salesperson is saying something that leads the prospect to believe that what they have is already getting the job done or you're not talking to the right person. So a lot of this is how you're structuring your cold call script. It's a little off topic, we could certainly get into it. But so many of these objections I hear, call me in six months, I already have something for that. That's not an objection, they do have something for that. If someone says I'm not interested, that means you're not interesting. The thing that you said is not interesting. And the traditional sales approach is to say something like this, why aren't you interested? And that word why is a tough one. Because why can sound very confrontational. almost like you're being scolded by a teen. Like, why didn't you clean up your room? Why didn't you do your homework? So if someone says, I'm not interested, what I might say is this in a very calm voice. I apologize for being so irrelevant. Clearly I need to work on my sales skills before I get off the phone. If I'm not asking too much, is it because what I'm saying is completely off base or is my timing awful? So what I'm doing here is I'm going to take the blame I'm going to take some responsibility. And typically what you'll hear when you say that is, well, I'm not the person even responsible for this. I have nothing. This is what I hear all the time on cold calls. "When like, I have nothing to do with this because the salesperson hasn't determined if it's the right person on the cold call. It's a simple thing. Hey, Armand, I'm not sure I'm in the right place and I'm a little embarrassed to even be asking, but are you still responsible for podcast editing? No, I have nothing to do with that. Oh, good to know before I start vomiting my Rest of my cold call script at you. So a lot of these things, again, can be prevented if you start to make sure that, am I talking to the right person even? That's a big one of these. Most of the time when I hear this, it's like, I don't even do that anymore. Or I'm retired. But because the rep hasn't asked if they're actually the one handling it or overseeing it or involved with it, they get this, I'm not interested. Of course they're not interested. They don't even work at the company anymore. <laughs> they're retired. They don't even work in the department anymore. But if you get in a bind, that's how I would handle that one. Um, With regards to call me in six months, what I might say, and, and again, it depends. Sometimes that's not an objection. I think salespeople have a tendency to think everything a prospect says is an objection. Sometimes things that prospects say are truth. This is a really important distinction. Last week, I was on a cold call, and the prospect said, I can't talk right now. I have to go to the hospital. And the salesperson thought that was an objection and said, can I just steal 45 seconds to tell you why I'm calling? And the prospect got extremely pissed off because that's specific. What the rep should have said is, oh my gosh, is everything okay? Another example, again, last week, these are cold calls that I, I was on. Prospect said, I can't talk right now. I'm at Whole Foods. And again, the rep was like, can I steal a minute? They thought it was an objection. If they were detached from the outcome and they joined the resistance, what they would have said is, can I just ask you, almond milk or oat milk? I'm so confused. What's your take? Right? And so this is the idea that salespeople think everything has to be overcome. It's not the case. Sometimes call me in six months is a reasonable thing for someone to say because you're calling them at the wrong time and they've given you some information. And if you push too hard there, you might ruin your chances in six months. Oftentimes it is a brush off and you have to be able to know when it is and when it isn't so you can respond accordingly.
1: Josh, can you talk to me about being interesting in the context of giving a pitch because I'm at a trade show right now and I was walking the halls of the trade show and I was talking to a lot of people saying, well, what do you do? And everyone says, oh, we're a workflow automation platform where we help X with Y. And when it follows the same formula, it gets not very interesting. It all blends to me. And I want something interesting like mixing oat milk with oatmeal, for example. Talk to me about how do I actually give an interesting pitch?
2: I love this. So the, this starts with, you have to know something that your prospect doesn't know. So let me give you, a, let me give you just like some concrete examples. Let's talk about the Ginsu knife. For those of you that are young, you might not know what this is, but this was a wildly famous, successful infomercial back in the day. And the infomercial started off in the kitchen. There was a guy with a knife and he was trying to slice a tomato. And the problem was, Because the knife was kind of dull when he sliced the tomato, the implication of that was the tomato splatted all over his white shirt. But this is the knife that he has. So he knows he needs a sharp knife, but the problem is I got to go to the store. I got to drive all the way over there. Japanese steel is like 800 bucks. I don't know which one to pick out. Then I got to bring it back home. So I'll just live with my knife, right? So we have a problem. We have other ways to get it done that kind of sucks. So I'm sticking with my current knife and then enter the Ginsu knife. This is something at the time that was different, meaningfully. And the reason it was different was for a couple reasons. One, you never had to leave your house to get it. Two, it was made out of Japanese steel that lasted 10 years without having to be sharpened. And three, it was 200 bucks. And they sold a ton of those knives. So many salespeople are selling knives. I got a knife. They don't have the unique mechanism. So you have to start with the unique mechanism. And the infomercial test is the best way that I know to get clarity on that. And Armand, I know you talk about this a lot, which I love, this idea of problem training, not product training. And so many salespeople don't get that. They're like, we got a knife. It's a sharp knife. It's made of Japanese. I got a knife. I got a knife. So it's, it starts with that. And from there, we could then start to develop a talk track over the phone, which we can get into if you want, that's based on a mini discovery call rather than a pitch.
0: So Josh, I love this concept of you're saying you're running a A microcosm of a discovery call almost. You're running a mini discovery call. Let's blow this out to the full discovery call. So let's say I jump onto this discovery call, post-cold call, or maybe a demo request, and I know this person is using something that is not descript. How do you think about your train of questioning when you go into a rip and replace deal instead of more of a traditional greenfield type of deal?
2: Sure. So my my first thought here is that I'd have to have a perspective on what Happens if they keep doing things the way they're doing things today. I have to have a hypothesis I have to confirm it obviously in the discovery call, but I have to have this hypothesis I have to have the before-and-after version of the infomercial very clear in my head I have to feel the Ginsu knife slicing the tomato. I have to confirm it But I have to feel it and we have to know something that the prospect doesn't know Of course the prospect doesn't know it if they did they'd call us. They're just trying to edit their podcast So it has to start with the perspective once we have the perspective going to ask them a simple question. Typically when people are editing podcasts, they're using editors like Adobe Audition or Logic or they're outsourcing it. How are you guys currently editing your podcast today? And we're going to let them talk. And one of my favorite questions after they start to talk is some version of this. Um, What's been your experience with that? And then from there, I might say something like this. Sounds like it's the perfect tool for the job seems like it's checking every single box. It's so rare to talk to someone who's having such an easy time cranking out podcasts. And what you typically hear when you say that typically is, well, it's not easy. It's not perfect. doesn't check every box. And then you might mirror and say, doesn't check every box. And now you've kind of created an opening. And then from there, I always like to ask this question, which is, what's your take? Armand, you've been editing for 15 years, this podcast, 10 years. What's your take on live commenting? What's your take on automating payouts? What's your take on automating commissions? It's not like they probably haven't heard of it. I mean, I just had this on a call with Captivate IQ last week. The rep said, what's your take on automating commission statements? And the prospect, this is exactly what he said. We've looked into that. And the problem is, our rules are way too complex for something like Captivate IQ. And the rep masterfully, instead of going into a pitch, said this, I'm sorry, too complex? And the guy unloads. And I have this call. It unloads for two minutes and the rep says nothing. He's joining the resistance. And at the end, the rep knew that in fact, the new version of their tool addressed all of those concerns and said this, John, I know I've emailed you five times if you open to it, I can send you a six minute video that shows you how our new version addresses all those concerns. So you can determine if this is worth exploring. And if it's not, and you think it's complete garbage, I'll never bother you again. And the guy cracked up and goes, sure, I'll take a look at it. He sent it to him. And it's now an opportunity for their company. Because what he's doing is he's joining the person where they are. And then he's shining a light on this new thing. Not everything has to be a meeting. I can kind of say, hey, I got to go. You know, I don't know if this is even worth a conversation. I'm going to pull back. If you'd like, I can send you a little six-minute video. You can check it out. And if you think it looks interesting, we can continue the conversation. No worries. And about 100% of the time, someone says, sure. And usually says, well, wait, while I have you on the phone, how does it work? Rather than, let's book a meeting. Let's book a meeting. That's certainly one outcome. But we have different tools that we can use here in these situations. Same thing with the discovery call. And then a, a logical output to that, which is, hey, you know what? We can't address that. You're right. We're not a fit. And that's a perfectly okay, reasonable outcome because the goal here is to get to the truth. And the truth might be, it's not a fit rather than assuming it's a fit for everyone. And that's kind of core to lowering the zone of resistance, letting go of assumptions and switching from pitching to discovering.
0: I was leveraging my inner Josh Braun the other day and I got onto a customer call with a a first discovery call with a prospect at a, the company was 10,000, 20,000 employees, and it was their head of talent. And they thought, that I was a talent agency. For those of you who don't know Pave, Pave is not a talent agency. And we actually, when when companies have a hard time communicating how much candidates are being compensated and why their compensation is great, Pave has tools to help with that. Uh, And so instead of correcting him, I actually spent the first 15 minutes acting like a talent agency. And all he did was tear in for the first 15 minutes on why he dislikes talent agencies. And it was all the things that Josh was talking about saying, it sounds like you really appreciate a a homegrown motion. It sounds like you really trust your narrative in the hands of your recruiters, not in someone else's. It sounds like you're better at winning the candidates than your competitors because you're focused on selling total comp while they're focused on outsourced dollars through an agency. And 15 minutes goes by and I go, well, Tim, this is really awkward. Unfortunately, I'm not an agency. Did you look at Pave's website by chance? And he goes, oh, now I remember why I took this demo. And it had nothing to do with the product whatsoever. All we were doing was just making him feel like he was right the whole time. And we were just agreeing with him. And then slowly, slowly, slowly nudged him in the right direction. And the instant temptation is to correct a customer. But it takes every degree of self-control to agree with the customer first, and then slowly, slowly, slowly transition them to the right direction.
2: That is such a brilliant example. And really what you're talking about here is you're turning the judgment switch off. So, so you can practice this in your personal life. We may have talked about this in the pre-show, but real briefly, I was at the dinner with a couple a couple weeks ago, and this guy pulls up in a, a course of Porsche 911. He's got the Rolex on. He's just talking about a new house that he bought, bragging about the new house, orders an expensive bottle of wine. Now, in my mind, I'm like, this guy is such a douche. Like, it's just obnoxious. But I know that's not going to get me anywhere, and I'm not going to judge him, because I don't know what it's like to be him. Just like I don't know what it's like to be a bat or a bird or Armand, and everyone has their own thing. So if I turn the judgment switch off for a second, which is hard to do because we have egos, what I said to him is this. When he ordered the expensive bottle of wine and he had the nice house, this is exactly what I said. I go, it's so nice to be around someone who appreciates the finer things in life. And this guy thinks I'm his best. I mean, this is the idea, like, I don't have to agree, but I also don't have to judge. This is a superpower in not just business, but in life. Practice this skill of just not judging and just understanding where someone's coming at. And the examples you gave, Armand, of those labels, when people feel like you get them, they're so much more open to leaning forward but we can't get there if we're judging and talking people into our point of view. This happens all the time in, in politics with vaccines. You see people arguing and trying to change minds on LinkedIn. You see this. It doesn't go anywhere. But I love that example of leaning in and validating and acknowledging the last thing you want to do is work with a recruiter or an agency because of these reasons. You're going to hear people say, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I love your phrase. I got I'm sorry to disappoint. You. That's not what we do. And now that they've vented, they're just going to be more open to listening. So that's a, such a good example.
0: So Josh, we finally have done a, a combination of a couple things that you've described. Number one, they're coming in with a perspective. We're not disagreeing with them. We're almost agreeing with them and validating it and getting on the same side of the table. Then we're creating an opening. And that opening might be this concept of live commenting. It might be whatever else it might be, right? And eventually, I know you talk about the, the TV pixel analogy, for example, right? You might agree that the broken pixel on your TV is a problem, but it's not a big enough problem in your life. How do you make that transition from, hey, live commenting is something that your current editor doesn't have to, hey, this actually impacts your success as a podcast. How do you make this bigger? So it actually is something that is big enough that they're willing to make that change.
2: I love that. So let's talk about this. That's not your prospect's job. That's your job as a salesperson. So let's make this real tangible. So if you're a triathlon coach and you are having a conversation with a triathlete, as a coach, you know more about the impact of going down the same path than the triathlete knows. You have to have all these issues written out, seven, eight, 10 issues. So I might just be coming to the coach because I want to improve my run. But the coach knows that if I burn myself out on the bike, I don't know how to bike properly. I'm not going to have the legs for the run. The coach also knows that if I don't know how to dial in the nutrition, I'm not going to be able to run. The coach also knows that if I don't know how to swim in a straight line in the ocean, I'm going to burn way too many calories. I'm not going to have enough energy for the bike. The coach also knows that if my mindset is not in the right place, that's going to jack me up. The coach also knows that if I'm not doing flexibility training, that's going to mess me up. So it's the idea of a salesperson needs to illuminate these things in the conversation you know by saying things like you know are you aware have you considered have you thought about what we're seeing triathletes that i coach happen is they have a triathlon coach they're following a program but what happens is they don't have the movements in place to move that way they're doing stretching but they're since they don't have their core movements they get injured and they don't have the proper gait to be able to run properly so for that reason what happens is we're incorporating this concept called kinestretch so that your body's actually prepared to run. That's one issue. The other thing we're seeing is sometimes triathletes, they can't swim in a straight line. And because they can't swim in a straight line, they burn a lot of energy in the ocean or they're biking way too hard. You're bringing these insights. It's like what Steve jobs did when he unveiled the new iPhone, he picked on the whole category. And one of his famous lines was, you know, the problem with smartphones is they're not that smart. It's all these keys that are at the bottom. Well, every application wants a different set of keys. So it just doesn't work. Oh yeah, it doesn't work, but you have to have, you can't ask the prospect about that. They don't know just like they don't know about their garbage can. Well, let me tell you about these flies. The flies can lead to E. coli and salmonella. And if that gets on you, you can get sick. So again, it's about you sort of bringing those issues and implications up and then ultimately allowing the prospect to, to marinate on that, to see if that motivates them.
1: Beautiful. Well, Josh, we're running out of time here. Unfortunately, we got to move to the final question. The final question is this. We've talked about a lot of wonderful things salespeople should be doing, but now let's flip that on its head. So the last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it's helping?
2: Yeah, I think the the one habit that I would stress salespeople to break is this idea of attaching their self-worth to the outcome. You are more than your job. You're more than a meeting. When you attach your self-worth to a meeting or an outcome or a revenue target, when you don't get it, you feel less than. There's this sort of lacking mentality. And because your thoughts affect how you feel, you feel unhappy. So consider this in everything that you do. Put it into two buckets. And this is grounded in stoicism. Do I control it? If I control it, I'm going to focus on it. I control what I say, I control how I say it, I control who I call, I control how I respond, or do I not control it? If I don't control it, I am not gonna spend any calories on it. I don't control quota, I don't control my territory, I don't control when or if people say yes to a meeting, I don't control when or if people buy. And I'm gonna spend zero energy on any of those things. I don't control comments, I don't control likes, I don't control views. I do control how much fun I have on a podcast. I don't control how many downloads it gets. So this idea of detaching from the outcome and only focusing on things you control is the path to happiness in sales and in life.
1: That was beautiful. I don't know how you're going to top this, but you're going to have to. Is there anything that you would like to promote before we jump off here, Josh?
2: Yes. Everybody make sure they turn into 30 MPC. It's a phenomenal... Oh, you guys are listening to it already. So listen, seriously, tell your friends about this awesome podcast. And if you want to check out my swag joshbraun.com on the shop tab. I got these things called tongue tied flashcards. It teaches you how to lower the zone of resistance when prospects raise objections. And so if you wanna learn a little bit about how lower the resistance those things might be for you, uh, joshbraun.com slash shop.
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Josh Braun and Cle- this week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Sense. The link is in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect
1: steal them good number one when you get
0: hit with an objection you have to lower the zone of resistance the way you do that is by labeling and agreeing with that objection and getting on the same side of the table which brings us to number two once you've done enough of that create an opening and that might sound like hey what's your take on live comments something that you know they don't or are not able to do today Lastly, number three is it's your job, not their job, to blow this problem up bigger. So the trash can example is saying, hey, are you aware, um, given your trash cans are dirty, that you can get salmonella or whatever else it might be? It's your job to tell people what could happen to their organization if they don't solve this problem. Don't always ask them to self-diagnose. And then lastly, number four Whenever you get slammed with these objections, guys, it's so tempting to push back, to stammer, to pitch, whatever it is. Don't be afraid to use a little bit of humor. The best thing you can do is when you get slammed with I'm not interested is agree with them and laugh and say, hey, I probably screwed up this cold call. I got to rework my pitch. That opener clearly didn't work. All righty, Nick,
1: those are our four. How could people help us out? Audience, are you aware? Have you considered that Armand and I feel the gaping voids in our lives by reading reviews that people write of our podcast. And we haven't gotten an updated review in a bit. And so that void is growing and growing.
0: Gong's going to help you run the five minute drill at the end of all of your calls today at the end of a call. Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-minute masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.